there. This is episode 80 of Prague Talk, a podcast from Radio Prague International. My name is Ian Willoughby. In this edition, my guest is somebody I wanted to meet for a very long time indeed, John Buck, the communist era dissident who has so many great stories to tell. John's parents met in the UK during the war and his English grandmother joined them in Prague after the conflict ended. Indeed, his first language was English, and as you will soon hear, though his speech is idiosyncratic, he still has a noticeable Northern English accent. Like his parents, John fell foul of the communists, especially when he signed Charter 77. In the 80s, he served as Václav Havel's odd job man, before later heading his security team in the immediate aftermath of the revolution. But perhaps in part due to his lifelong rebellious spirit, he soon found himself frozen out of the circle around Havel and wasn't invited to his inauguration as president in late December 1989. I spoke to John Buck, who is today 77 years old, for episode 80 of Prague Talk. I'd first like to ask you about your parents. They met in the UK during the war. Yeah. Czech dad, British mother. What did your dad do in the war? My father uh, escaped to Poland when the Nazis occupied this country and he gone to Krakow where was the Czech Legion. And on the 1st of September, Poland was attacked by Germans, so my father couldn't get through the North Sea to England because he didn't want to go to England straight away. And he did go to Soviet Union. And Soviet did attack also Poland, so both sides. Anyway, they rather did go to the Soviets than to the Germans. And end of all, he was one and a half year in, in, in uh, Gulag at a town called uh, Suzdal, 700 kilometers from the Moscow. And when the Germans did attack, the, the Nazis did attack the Soviet Union, the Soviets and West countries did make agreement and pact. And in the moment, the Czech government, original government, uh, asked for some boys who was in the age to be in military air service. And so my father did go to Africa. Uh, by boat to the Bosporus and Dandali, and in the war they was he was fighting at uh, El Alamein, and because there was a big uh, big uh, need of the people, pilots and and stuff for the Royal Air Force, so my father joined the Royal Air Force and was at the three one one squadron, flying to end of the war, and there they met. Even my, my mother didn't do it on the same airport. They met when they did go to dancing and going to bars. So they met there, and my mummy was doing in those years that mechanic of the Spitfire, seven Spitfires in the hay, and repairing them. And then they came here after, after the, war. the end of the I was, war. I, I was started at, uh, in Scotland. It was the last, uh, last uh, airport in, in, on the east shore of Scotland. I can't remember now. I'm That's where home. you were conceived? Yes, yeah, outside, uh, on the end of the airport. <laughs> it was cold weather, only they, you know, they could die every day. So the life, it was different. Those who warm marriages and the war, a lot of them divorced because it was some special situation, strong of emotions, and people did live from day to day. Even they didn't think about it. So my father did go see my grandma 
and they did live in Leeds with my granddad. And my granddad did fall in love with my daddy. And when he gone with him to pub to have a beer or drink, so he was introduced like like his son. But what happened when your folks moved back to Prague? Your mum, of course, was English. Were the communists, when they came to power in '48, were they interested in her? Did they abuse him? Yes, very quickly or very soon. Mummy did come a little bit later with me in Belgrade because Daddy did land with the with the airplane, you know, the Liberator, and uh, he gone to Pardubice because there was his family, my granddad and, and Granny Chick and his brothers. He came from the ten children. And uh, they had it rented a little house. At the beginning, was living in Prague, same area where I live now. It was in Karlin. Only I was born in Pardubice, because Daddy did want me to be born in Czechoslovakia. And after we lived some time in Pardubice, and from that time, very early, even if the communist wasn't here at power, uh, my father was checked out of the Czech Air Force, and the rest of the boys who was flying home war with him. Kudlach and Karimnicek, captain and pilot, first pilot, had a air crash when they was leaving England with the last fly with the Czech uh, refugees and Jewish refugees coming back to Czechoslovakia and something did happen. My father was saved because they checked him at very early and uh, mummy did come in from 45. I was born here and after... I had another brother in Catalonia, Warri. But your English granny also lived here. That's that a story. <laughs> My granddad, we, we was with mummy in 1946, 47 in England, in Leeds. I remember it even when I was so little boy, because I remember that was in Leeds was big artificial lake, and there was this pedal boat, and my granddad took me several of them. And so I remember it even when I was so little. And... After in '48, <laughs> and after the putsch, <laughs> after the changes, communist changes, mummy was her only one daughter, only one child. So she sold everything. She sold the house in the Leeds, and all the money she did get, even the pension after the granddad, sent it to Czech Bank and moved here. But that's amazing <coughs> to me because I think it must have been hard for the wives of the airmen and the others. But for the mother, for the granny to be here also... That wasn't dreadful. Only what, what was funny, she didn't know only a few Czech words. She didn't learn Czech. She didn't want to learn Czech. Suddenly when she did find out in what kind of, I don't want to use the right word, in mess, in mess. So she closed herself. Oh, she was in the Most of the time she was living with family. She didn't have her, no friends. She was listening Radio Luxembourg or BBC. And and she used you like her little interpreter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to be true, she was a friend only with my mummy. Mummy did have quite a lot of friends. She liked Czech very well. Only autodidact herself. Nobody didn't teach her. At the beginning, she had a quite good job. Only after being English from the capitalistic and imperialistic country. And my father like a Western airman. So we was, matter of fact, from beginning discriminated. And they was moving us from place to place. So we started in Pardubicki, and after we was a very short time here in Prague. After we did go to Karlovy Vary, where was born my brother, my little, 
He's three and a half years younger than I am. After they pushed us to Ústí nad Labem, from Ústí nad Labem they go back to Semtín near Pardubice. After he was pushed to Tanwald, which was a Sudet area, from there he was pushed to the Liberace. And but, what was every time mentioned in our family, that two things did get harmed, our furniture and our education, because we didn't find no grassroots in the place where, so we didn't have other friends her whole life. Normal children, when they go to normal schools and stay there for a long time. Was it the case that your mom was somehow pressured into leaving Czechoslovakia eventually well, in the 60s? It was after what was happening. First of all, parents did get divorced. Unlike a lot of other Czech-English marriages, really did break down because it was started in the very funny conditions. So she had other husband, uh, Jaroslav Odvarko. He was a very easy man, only there was a home terror. Uh, one day I invented, I was a little boy, I was nine or ten, and when he started beating me, I had gone to the kitchen and took the knife and sat in front of him. I said, if you get hit here, I will kill you. He did go to the court. They did want to send me to the house for the naughty boys. So mommy did take me to the Chesky Dup, which was originally it was a monastery. And when he was standing there, it was on spring, I remember, because the cherry trees was white. And suddenly in this monastery was coming three men. And when they came to us and they want to receive me or take me away, I said to mommy, mommy, I was suicide. Nine, ten years old boy. And mommy just looked on the man and said, I'm taking him home. I don't care what will happen. And nothing didn't happen. It was unsurprising. Mommy was an unbelievable person. After she was working very hard in very labor works, only very, you know, lousy. And so when I did it, joined the army, which was the national, national service, I didn't want to. I was twice in mental hospital. Only they find me quite... <laughs> not ill, <laughs> uh, mentally ill. So, end of all, uh, I did go to serve to the Jatets, and uh, mommy was working the, in those days in the chemist shop, only like washing pots. She couldn't get a proper job. But she did leave Czechoslovakia, she left. She left it because she was quite fed up of the life, because she divorced with Odvarko, Granny did die. We was big boys, brother was living already with my father, I was living with mommy. And when I got to army, and it was 66, which was a little bit liberal, I call it Novotny Spring. In those days, uh, Antony Novotny was the president, and there started some kind of liberalization. Movies, good books, little theaters. The life started to be much more simple, and um, you could choose what you want to do. There wasn't so political pressure. So in that time, I made it to make my mind and going to see the family in England in 66. And when she was there, suddenly they came to me and said, how is that your mother is calling from England? I said, because she gone there on holiday. And how is that you have a number? I said, because she was calling from Kraliki. So she have a number, which is not, no, I didn't, because they want to blame me that I did say secret of our camp. And uh, <laughs> so mommy asked me if it would matter if she was staying in England, that she's fed up of it, what's happening here. We are grown up, and she believes that if they did let her to go, that in short time, uh, we were also with my brother, 
welcome to see him, Papa. Pap's choice to go there. And there she finds a job and start living there, had some friends, and she, she was there happy. And that was that. And only she couldn't have taken to here because uh, the court uh, made the uh, uh, situation complicated because they said that mommy left the country without permission of Communist Party and that she kidnapped her daughter. Even the father had didn't even pay the elements for her. Nothing. So in this moment, I said, Mommy, it's okay. Of course, I will live my life, brother, also. And I hope it soon we will come to see you, perhaps even stay. And then it comes 68, uh, uh, you mean like the eight, invasion? Yes. And in that moment, I could go to see Mommy. Even the Russians or Soviets occupied us in and I was in that time in Yugoslavia when the Soviet came. Anyway, even next year they let me to go to see mommy, and uh, even in 1970 it was last time I could go. And they took my pass and I couldn't go no more. Say in the 1970s, when did the STB, the secret police, begin taking an interest in you, or when did you have your first kind of conflicts with them? Oh, it was yet before, because even mommy was... Uh, followed by STB in Kralik. So that was my first touches with the STB. Only before that, I, I remember yet that my father, we was living in a very short time with my brother and my father in Orlitsky Hori, Orlitsky Mountains. And there was even father several, several times took by STB to Ustinad Orlitsky, which was district town, local district town. And... Uh, so there was first some kind of experiences with STB. Once even they, at front of us in in this village on the street, they attacked him and beat him. And after they were starting to be interested in me. And what form did the interest take? Or what was it about you that made them, you know, interested in you? So when I when I was living in the Ustina Labem, it wasn't so dramatic because uh, it was at 60, 68, 67. So it was just... How it was. Only yet in when I was in army, there was a STB inside our army, which was, was called uh, VKV, which was Vojenská Kontrarozvedka, which was a military STB. So there was already there, because I was getting in conflict even with, office, with military boys, because I was, we say in Czech, quick mouse. So in this moment, uh, it started developing. I saw an interview with you in which you spoke about the fact that you unusually would not let the STB into your apartment, that you had some method of stopping them from searching your oh, place. Yeah. <clears throat> when I did see what happens to my friends, to come back when it was you asking how it was with STB, it started to be much sharper after 77, when I did sign chart 77. And they checked me out of the job. I was doing those postman on the railways. And uh, in the moment when I started living with my wife, we lived together 46 years, and I have two daughters, I'm not a grandchild. So in that moment, when I saw what happening to my friends, how they breaking the door, turning upside down whole flat, going in the underwear of uh, their wives, I said, I don't want to have this. So I did do my own defense. I had a metal, and that I did do two holes in the door. I pushed the metal to block it, and after from the piece of woods, 
on top and bottom of the door. So there was two sticks and STB when they did come, banging, ringing. So I was talking with them through the door and they said, we have a right to come to your flat uh, to make this, uh, how we call it, domovni prohlídka. Home search. Search, home search, yes. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I said, fine, only I don't see the paper. You must open the door. I said, I won't open the door because I don't trust you. And, and there was this little cuckoo, you know, and I said, so you can look my cuckoo. I said, only I can't read it properly. So it was like a fun, it wasn't. I was very serious. So end of all, they did, the secret police, STB, said to normal policemen, SMB, break the door. They couldn't get inside. Also, uh, and after I was offering this duty to all my friends, and they wasn't. They said no. We, we were some. I said you live it. You live it because you come in public and in West Side houses. People are horrible and breaking inside. Only I defend myself because my family, English grandparents, every time say an English say normally my house is my castle, and you must defend your castle. You did maintenance work for the Havels, is that the case? You were used to help them out with their apartment? Yeah, I was with the Havel, Václav and Olga and Ivan, who was in those days living also in this big flat in, on Ašinovo nábřeží, near the dancing house. I couldn't study, so I did a lot of jobs. And during these jobs, I did learn from the professional people, so even I didn't have education. I'm very clever now. I can build a whole, whole, whole house myself doing the electric and water installation. So I was doing some kind of practical housekeeper because Václav wasn't so clever. And they was happy because they didn't know they can trust me because if they would ask some plumber or anybody, uh, they wouldn't know if it's not STB men. So yes, I was repairing their things and installing for Václav and Olga and Ivan and Dasha. You also had... A perhaps surprising job after the revolution or during and after the revolution. You were the head of Havel's security team and you were unarmed. How did that work? That was working very well. So first I did, uh, when we were set at Zetschitzke, I was, I was arrested for three days on uh, 17th of November on the demonstration. We was on Vyshehrad. There I did... Uh, provocate people that we should we should go down to town and not staying upon the Vyshehrad and that we should say what it said Magor who was in those days in prison that it's enough that's it's enough and after they did beat us in the Vyshehradska in front of the the Ministry of Justice which was typical and after I was sent to Ruzine where I did spend four days uh, holding the hunger strike so I didn't know what was happening later. I thought I would go to prison this time. And suddenly I was released. And when I did get to Václav Havel on Wenzel Square in Melantrich, after they moved to Little Gallery Uřečických, where we have, I have a photo where there's only 20 of us or 25. So I did realize that Václav is going himself home at night. You know, this is police, and STB disappeared. They disappeared now suddenly. And anyway, we could meet some old Bolshevik who who could meet Václav and start attacking me because suddenly everybody knew who is Václav Havel. And uh, so I every time followed him to his home and after I gone to my home and from that time I was, pick, I was picking him at morning and I was his first bodyguard. 
And from that moment, I started building more and more. And even I didn't have no special treatment, I was only in army, I started picking up people who didn't know this mortal arts. People from the high school for the, for the sport, as a sportsman who was doing the judo or karate, and students of the schools. And I did taught them that they no no weapons, that we will do only that we will defend ourselves, pushing ourselves to front. And uh, and it did work. And after I told them, if you want to walk through, be kind, say, be so kind, we must go. And it was like, if you remember from the Bible, when the Jews was going over the Red Sea, this, it was our same emotion. When it was just saying, please, and the crowds was opening like a Red Sea. <laughs> but then, not so long afterwards, it seems like you were kind of frozen out of the the group of people around Václav Havel. Is that what happened? Oh, yeah. You can call it this way, yes. It was... Uh, I already already did feel that something is happening. And uh, most of the people who end the world did surround Václav had nothing to do with the incident, with Chart 77. There was only Sasha Vondra, and that was all. So suddenly, Krzyzan and all those people who were there, Alda Czerny, all these people was from the, which was called a grey zone. And uh, they were jealous. So at the beginning, I did stay at the Russian, where was downstairs was office for the Havel's letters and so, with Olga. I must say, all this what I was doing till the Václav get to the castle uh, with those boys, I wasn't paid. So I had my friends were supporting me. And during this time, yet before it did happen, I did arrange that, uh, I had a crazy idea sometime, and I said it would be funny if Václav would go on the castle and from the castle in the communist bureaucracy, Tatra. It was a sub, the communist it's like a symbol of official symbol, yes. And there, in those days, did come some students from the Porto, from Portugal, and they brought to Czech women roses of Porto, which was amazing. And they was giving to women on Windsor Square these roses. And suddenly they came to Spalicek, which was the center of, of, of civic forum on the bottom of the Windsor Square, and there. I was introduced, and nobody wasn't interested in this students. I, I was straight away, it was for me unbelievable. They fly here, bring roses, and 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 they said, what do you will need? And I said, if you could find nice car, dark blue, and it would be, if it could be Citroën, like was De Gaulle. <laughs> and they said, we will try our best. They fly back to Portugal, they called me and said, we couldn't find so only we have a Peugeot, and, and it's not blue, it's a dark green. I said, fine. So I did send two of my boys from the bodyguard. Somebody paid for them, people from, from Portugal, Czechs, who was living. They flew it there. The students, was, it was new car. And the, they fly there, had a shower, popped in the car, and non-stop came back to Prague, just the morning when we go to the car. And, and this was... Very funny. And so they did check me somehow. I didn't go with Václav to castle. Anyway, I was in touch with him. And one day, Olga Havlova met me, or met me. Car was passing us. I was going on National Avenue, Národní Čída, with uh, 
my oldest daughter, Christine, comes little girl, and my wife, and suddenly being we passed us, stopped, and Olga Havlova came down outside and said, John, you must go to the Ministry of Interior. There are idiots there, they don't know nothing, and I know you know very much about it. So you must go there. I said, I don't want to go there. You must. Olga was Olga, so end of all, I gone there, and I was working there. And I was the person when the President Bush senior came to for one year anniversary of the Velvet Revolution. And it was on Windsor Square. And I was by director of our office, sent because I was the only one person who was speaking English, to make some kind of service for the president's security people who was living on Davidson Big Hotel. And in this moment, I did see like the rest of people are jealous. <laughs> and they didn't check me clearly. They said to get rid of, of old STB people, they will make a reorganization. A reorganization was that they checked us, all of us, and after some of them was received back, even some STB people. And that is question of revolution. This kind of revolutions happen. We're kind of running out of time. Everything you're saying is so interesting. There's one more thing I wanted to ask you about. Your kids are actors, especially your daughter, Yanofova, is very successful. Do you take a lot of interest in her career or their careers? First of all, I will say I have five children, uh, three boys, which I had with three women before I get married. <laughs> First, I did get married with my wife. This is only my own wife. And we have two daughters, Christinka and Yanofova. Yanofova, from the beginning, when she was little, she was very into Christinka also. Christinka was doing ballet, ballet dancing modern ballet dancing, and now she's also actor. And you know, uh, from fair six, start doing the violin. And she gone through the gymnasium, after to the conservatorium, and end of all Academy of Music, and last year she finished. So her original profession is the music. She loves it, only she don't want to be the soloist. Because she, she knows about her colleagues from the school, how tough hard it is, you get a lot of music, only less of the life, because you must have these promoters and everything. And suddenly she did get to the movie, because when she was a very little girl, uh, one student of the FAMO did see, and she thought, oh, she's clever and funny. And she was doing animating movie, where Jennifer didn't like animated, and her voice. And from that time, people start noticing her. And... Now she's quite famous actress in this country, and I know why my both daughters are talented in actors in theatre. I had a Czech grandma, grandma, and she was called Eliška married Bokova. Only when she was single, she was Postlova. And her grandfather, and her daddy, and her uncle was owner of the. I don't know how you call it in English. It, it was a theatre, private theatre. Only they didn't have a building and they was moving. In Czech it's called Kočovné divadlo. I guess uh, nomadic theatre. Yeah, something like that. So they was playing in the pubs and everywhere in the town halls. So it's in your family, it's in your genes. And that is family of my of my uh, my father. And she was very talented, she was actress. And when she did, met my grandfather who was a village teacher and doing the amateur theatre, they fall in love. Granny was so good that she was nearly to get to the National Theatre. Only she met the granddad. So my daughters 
are talented after their granny, my grandmother. This is how it is, and she's now mummy, fresh mummy, three months old, not yet, Ellen, and I did for them to have it. Second name is Josefina, so now I have a granddaughter called Ellen Josefina, and hope she will be same like her mummy, you know, her father. Many thanks indeed to John Buck. One thing we didn't have time to speak about was his main activity for several decades now, which is running the group Shalomon or Solomon. It provides assistance to individuals in Czechia who feel they have been wronged by the judicial system. This has been episode 80 of Prague Talk, so there are of course many more episodes out there if you're new to the podcast. Why not check out a few and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Thank you so much indeed for listening to Prague Talk from Radio Prague International. I'm Ian Willoughby and I will talk to you again very soon.